Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors here, and I know you probably haven't seen me up in the pulpit for a long time. I'm excited to open up God's Word with you this morning. Uh, we're in the, the second week of Advent, and we're looking at the testimonies that speak of the coming King. And today is the look at Mary's testimony, or, or Mary's hymn uh, in Luke. And it's really amazing. Uh, you might have noticed that we've been lighting candles. We are in the second week of a four-week Advent series, and this, this second candle is lit for the second week, and it's on faith. The four candles are representative of hope, faith, joy, and peace with that culmination of, of Christmas Eve and, and the birth of our Savior. So uh, that's what you see here. Um, last week, we got the news of the passing of, of Bonnie Cooper, and It'd be a shame for me not to say something from up front. Um, I can honestly say that we all know Bonnie Cooper. Um, and, and I can say that because if she didn't know who you were, she'd probably chase you down in this church until she found you and knew your name and had you known in this church. It's just the, the type of person that Bonnie was. She had a special way of doing that. And, man, she is going to be missed. Uh, death is hard. It's hard emotionally, it's hard physically, spiritually, it's just, it's just the way it is. And, and I know we don't mourn as those in the world mourn because we know that, that Bonnie is, has won the prize. She has finished the race. She's with Christ. I, I mean, how happy do you think Bonnie is right now? But, but we still mourn. We, we still mourn and, and that's okay. We should... We should find comfort in, in Paul's words, like he said in 2 Corinthians. He said, uh, he said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort others who are in any affliction with the comfort which with we ourselves were comforted by God. And so as a body, let's, let's be that for each other. Let's, let's make room for that where we can comfort each other. And, and church family, let's, uh, let's remember to lift up our brother Gary as he's grieving the loss of his wife. And I know there's a, I saw a meal train go out by Heidi Polly. Um, sign up for a meal. Take it over to him. Have a chat with him. I'm sure that would, that would lift his spirits in this time. Let's pray. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for your kindness and love. We, we thank you for the breath that we have in our lungs. And Lord, when, when you take that breath away, we know that, that death does not have victory over us. Because, Lord, death has been swallowed up in your victory through the cross. And let us hold fast to that truth, that, that truth that you are our God and our Savior. And and Lord, even as we hear Mary say today, because he is mighty and because he will have mercy on those who fear him from generation to generation. And Lord, um, watch over my words. Let them be pleasing to you. Uh, let them be edifying to this body. And, and let it be your word, uh, not mine. We praise you, Lord, in all things. Through the powerful name of Christ, we do that. Amen. All right, uh, as we look at these infancy narratives, 
those that speak of, of Christ being born, we get to spotlight the second person in the Trinity where he steps down into the sphere of human sin and human failure, and he does what God demands of man to do, and he lives in absolute perfection in relation to his law, and he takes the place of fallen man, and he does so because nobody else can. And we see this happen through the incarnation in the womb of Mary, done so by the power of the Holy Spirit. And today's verses, they give praise or they magnify God and his goodness for doing this. Mary talks about his faithfulness in her song and, and goes through his faithfulness throughout the time of Israel's history. And there is so much anticipation for this Messiah to come, the Savior to come. But there's also just a, a crazy amount of chaos in her day. So, so to start out... Uh, Mary is pregnant. Um, she just found out. She's a teenager. She's engaged, but not yet married. I'm sure moms out there, when you were finding out that you're going to have a kid that first day, I'm sure you had the crazy amount of emotions that rolled through your body. Probably some good, some bad. Anxiousness, happiness, fulfillment, joy. Some, some it might have been a surprise that you're pregnant. You're like, oh my gosh. Uh, I'm not ready for this. My life is going to change so much. Um, when I was in junior high, my sister was 16 years old. I was in seventh grade. And, and she came home one day and, and broke the news to my parents that uh, she was pregnant. It was a pretty big game changer in Kent's household. And I was a spectator, just kind of on the sidelines watching it unfold and, and looking at my parents and my sister like they had no clue what to do you don't you don't want to have a kid but but it's a life growing inside you you have no support it's a mess but it's not the baby's fault and and not only that uh, but you have those thoughts that go through your head like what are people going to think of us or or are we a bad family now and are we gonna be thought of as like different or are we immoral that's where the sinful mind wanders often and to the places that aren't reality. And, and that's where the snowball of, of negativity just starts. And, and even if it's a planned pregnancy, I think on some level, even for like a man's perspective, it's like, holy cow, like, <laughs> how are we going to afford this? Or I'm going to have to get a better paying job. Uh, uh, we're going to have to get a bigger house. Uh, I mean, whether it's disobedience or not, it's, it's real emotions. And what do we do with these emotions? I know these affect everyone differently. And, and as we look at Mary, she's betrothed or, or engaged to Joseph when the, the angel Gabriel arrives and tells her. And, and it's helpful to know that this Jewish marriage was really a two-staged event. You had uh, the engagement, which it really consisted of like a formal witnessed agreement uh, of marriage. And then there's a payment uh, of the bride to the father. Uh, the bride's father, and then the marriage ceremony after that would happen about a, a year later. And in this, Gabriel's announcement uh, to Mary includes this proclamation that Mary is going to have a son, and she's going to name it Jesus. And this Jesus is going to have a conception date before the wedding night. 
And, and I think it's uh, neat. Let's read in Luke one twenty eight. It recaps this evening with, with Gabriel. It says this. Uh, I'm just going to read it. He came to her, Gabriel, and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for if you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And I think, like, what, what would the world think in this situation, knowing that, that she is pregnant out of wedlock? And, and who is Mary trusting here in this situation? In the, in the world's eyes, it's a pretty dicey predicament. We, we see <clears throat> that Joseph could even made matters like very bad for Mary. He could have, he could have, um, he could have stoned her. But uh, it, it says in Matthew 1 that, that her husband, I'll read this, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her sh- to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. As in he thought he'd let Mary go and be with the, the father of, of her son. Um, it says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As the angel Gabriel visited Mary that night, she initially was trembling in fear. I mean, wouldn't you? Could you imagine an angel coming to you, summons you, and talks to you? But as she, as she begins to comprehend what's going on, her, her terror, her anxiety, it really turns into peace. And the news that this angel is saying to her is not something that's foreign to her ears. The angel quotes, uh, quotes Old Testament prophecies of the coming Savior. He's calling the Son of the Most High from 2 Samuel 7, saying that he will be reigning over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end from Isaiah 9. She knows what this means. It might take it a while to sink in, but she knows what, what uh, Gabriel meant. You see, like Mary was just entrenched with scriptures. She grew up with them. She's from the Hebrew family. She was brought up under the Shema, where her parents would teach the words of God to their children diligently, to talk of them when they sit in their house and when they walk by their way and when they lie down at night and when they rise. And, and we see this, a, a response from Mary with her song, a, a hymn, a, a magnification of God, so to speak, where she speaks out of the overflow of her heart, and it's just drenched with God's words. And I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone here. Uh, rather, just give a bit of encouragement. Could you imagine if, if that we consumed the word of God so much that if we didn't have a Bible in front of us, that we could still recite it from our minds and from our hearts? Could you mean that, imagine that impact of, of just increasing the knowledge of, of the word in our lives? I mean, we fill up our, our hearts with a lot of pointless things. I fill up my heart with a lot of pointless things, and pointless things come out. We fill our, our, ourselves with the word of God, and the word of God overflows. 
Mary knows the word. She responds with words that reflect God's goodness towards her because she knows who the Lord is. And guys, I'm telling you, this is not always easy. I can share from my experience that when I have something significant happen, the words of the Lord are not the first thing that are always on my lips or on my heart. And, and, and sometimes it takes me a bit. And a lot of times it, it takes someone to point me to God and to his faithfulness and help me like reframe my thoughts about his goodness and his faithfulness uh, so that I can, I can understand and I can, I can praise. And, and I thank the Lord. And I think we should all thank the Lord for, for the body that we can do that uh, for each other. Okay, Mary gets this news, and with, with any uh, woman who, who becomes pregnant, pregnant, they probably want to go share the news with someone close to them. I don't know, probably a woman thing here, but I'm sure she let her, her fiancé know, uh, Joseph, and, and probably her parents. But then, like in the previous scripture here, it says that with haste, she heads over to her, um, her relative's house, Elizabeth. And this is probably, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 miles away. Uh, and she gets to Elizabeth's house. And Elizabeth opens the, the door and greets her and has a, like an amazing greeting. And, and, and we're going to see that Mary, in her response, she just can't keep it in. And she just proclaims this hymn that we're going to dive into today. And I don't know if Mary had written this on the long ride over. That's what I lean to. Uh, it seems very contemplative and specific. Or, or maybe it was spontaneous to Elizabeth and it just was out of the overflow of her heart. Uh, either way, uh, she said it, and it starts out in this, in verse 46 and 47 of Luke 1 says this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary is, is testifying of her gratitude to the only one who can do what he is about to do, not and she's not doing it from some lip service that so many of us can do on a, on a regular basis, but rather she's rejoicing from the inside. It says from her soul, from her spirit. She believes, and it's evident in the way that she's expressing herself. And, and there's cause for this as well. There's not Mary just putting blind trust in this idea of having a baby from the Most High. She, she continues to add reasons why her trust and rejoicing are based the way that they are. Mary lifts God up as she praises his work on her behalf. This praise is a declaration of her faith. And we'll see this played out in the hymn from even the personal to, to the corporate, to us, to, to everyone. And that is from the past to the present to the future. In verse 48, she continues, it says... For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, it's pretty obvious here that Mary is poor. Her, her humility is saying that she's from a humble estate is not really an exaggeration. She is uh, from Nazareth. Most of the people from Nazareth are, are not very wealthy. She was uh, pretty poor and not known in society. We don't even know who her parents were. We really have no clue about her history. We know she's Jewish, but she's not of any high means in society. And, and I think that's the beauty of the gospel, right? It gives hope 
to the downtrodden. It lifts up the poor and it, and it overthrows the powers and the principalities and it, and it postures our hearts to know that apart from God, apart from God, we are nothing. And to think that God looked upon her humble estate and through that, she was able to rejoice in God, her Savior. And, and that's, we kind of call this a parallelism in this hymn. We see this in a lot of Psalms. It's, it's the poor, the weak, the humble. Those are going to be elevated and redeemed as opposed to the proud and the strong and the arrogant who, who are going to be unseated. I mean, what a mystery that this child that is in the womb is the one who by his death will make atonement for her sin. The child that she carries will one day hang upon a cross and she is going to be at the foot of that cross and she's gonna say to herself, here is my God and my savior. She is humbled here. She's worshipful. second half of, of verse 48 says, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. And, and she is blessed, not, not blessed as in like a new position as a mediatrix of all grace or uh, not someone like uh, St. Bonaventure would say that she's called the gate of heaven because no one can enter the blessed kingdom without passing through her. That's, that's unbiblical. That's, that's man-made, but, but she is blessed and is going to be called blessed because she's known by God and she's used by God. Such is every person who is brought to life in Christ from generation to generation. She's someone who the Lord looked upon and smiled upon, adopted, redeemed, and made new. Not because of her high pedigree, but because of God's mercy in grace. You know, I, I teach in, in high school, and I'm sure we can write stories like this. There's always the kids who struggle to find friends. There's the, the ones where you could say maybe they're of low estate and they, they don't have the best clothes. Maybe they speak a little funny, and kids through the hallways almost, they never acknowledge that they really even exist. And I have a, a specific memory from uh, a bunch of years ago, and it was a bunch of the popular kids on a sports team, and they pretty much had the voice of the student body, and, and they could, I would say, surely abuse that position more than I'd like to see, but, but there's an instance where they asked one of these kids, uh, who, one of these kids who, you know, nobody really cared for to be the manager of their team, of, uh, of their sports team, and, and I truly believe that they weren't mocking this kid or they weren't uh, trying to make fun of him, but they actually showed interest in him, and, and this kid, like, he lit up. Like his entire being like morphed into someone who felt more confident, more valued, more assured. And it was an incredible gesture that really changed the course of this kid's entire high school career. It was awesome to witness. And, and I can see in a way that Mary's in that position, right? People were probably talking about her behind her back, shaming her. Uh, for, for being pregnant out of wedlock, doubting her or, or just ignoring her existence, and yet she was rejoicing. Like the God of the universe has regarded her in her lowest state. She was known 
She goes on and says in verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Mary is acknowledging the power of God and the coming savior, the birth, the birth that will change the course of the world. This redeemer, the Messiah, the chosen one was using this unknown girl as a vehicle to turn the world upside down. And, and not only is she acknowledging what God was about to do, but even if God did not use Mary, I still think that she could have sung this hymn or song. She's saying so many things about how he has already done great things for her and holy is his name. And, and part of the assurance comes from knowing what God has already done so one can trust in what God will do. And I think Mary is, is definitely at that place. Verse 50, she says this, and in his mercy, all right, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God's mercy is for whomever he wants to have mercy on. God's not changing. His faithfulness, his mercy, his holiness, they're irrevocable. It's a part of his nature. It's immutable. So what Mary was experiencing is what believers throughout all time experience as she was speaking that over herself and to the coming generations. Mary knows God. She has seen God's work. And we see not what God was doing just with, with Mary, but, but to what he has done for his people as well. This is, this is common writing in a lot of the, the Psalms, how God has been faithful and consistent, not only in the personal, but also in the history of his people. In verse 51, Mary's turning from God's mercy to his power, and this is an anticipation of, of what God is going to be doing and what he's going to be doing through Christ. It says this in 51. Uh, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. God is sovereign. His hand is, is in history and it's everywhere and I'm amazed to see how it works. God's acts in, his, uh, in Israel are, are not done in the dark. They're not invisible. God's people reflect on his works all the time. And we have numerous examples of God showing his strong arm and toppling and rising up uh, to whom according he, who he wants and, and according to his goodness. The Jews, they made a, a big practice to look back a lot, especially from Abraham's covenant to the exodus from Egypt. And even though Mary doesn't speak specifically about this event, uh, she has reflected on the numerous times God has been faithful in sustaining Israel. Like the text can certainly speak of, of Moses bringing them up out of Egypt with his strong hand. And it can speak of Joshua clearing the promised land of the sinful and, and arrogant nations that stood before them. Even during the monarchies of Saul and David and Solomon, God's strong arm was moving in hearts and nations. And, and some of the largest nations in history have tried to conquer Israel. We have Assyria and Babylon and Persia and, and a bunch of other smaller ones. But there was always provision to keep them and sustain them, at least a part of them, a remnant, those who were faithful. We just finished the book of Malachi 
which comes off the heels of Persia, letting the Jews come back from their Babylonian exile. And, and really, it was a, a book of corrections on how they had lukewarm worship, but probably because uh, they were not reflecting and, and truly believing, like Mary, the power of God in their past and in their present and in their future. The strong arm of God did, as, as verse 52 notes, he's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He used uh, the mighty nation of Assyria to punish the haughty and sacrilegious northern kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel. And then he punished Assyria for doing it, for being violent and selfish in that. A lot of the times the Jews weren't immune to this. In this uh, like intertestamental period, like after Malachi and, and before Christ, he uses uh, an amazing person, Alexander the Great, who is an incredibly powerful person to, to unseat a lot of people. Alexander the Great defeated Persia, the mighty Persia, and he brought uh, Greek rule to the Jewish world. And Alexander required that Greek culture be promoted in every land that he conquered, including imposing the Greek language, Koine Greek, on them. And this was not a good turn of events for Israel, so they were, uh, they were pretty upset. The, these people were very humanistic and ungodly. And eventually, after Alexander, there's going to be a group called the Seleucids that conquered Israel and Judea, and they're going to desecrate the temple. They're going to defile it with unclean animals and pagan altars. And, and Jews were put into a humble estate, but not backing down or not <clears throat> turning their backs to God. They, they resisted. They leaned on God. And through God's amazing work, we're going to have this the group of the, the Maccabeans. Uh, God's going to restore the Jews in the temple. God unseated the powerful people and, and exalted these substantially smaller people time and time again. And, and they're going to have independence. And, and about 100 years later, Pompey of Rome is going to conquer Israel again, putting Judea under control again, and this time to the Caesars. And this is Mary's world. This is the world that Mary is living in. After Pompey, we're going to see it move up to uh, Caesar Augustus. And we're going to see their dominion over Judea through Herod and others. And Mary is praising God for past provision. But she was also looking for this conquering Messiah that would free them from the oppression of the Romans. And she's asking, uh, seeing that, that this conquering Messiah would free them from the oppression that God has freed them from time and time again in their history. Mary's convinced that the boy in her womb was this conquered Messiah. Not only were people primed and ready for the Messiah, but God was moving in other ways as well. And, and these are ways in which people needed to trust him. Verse 54 and 55 says that he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God is a covenantal God. He makes promises and, and keeps promises. God's actions are motivated by his loyal love. That mercy that he spoke to the fathers, to Abraham 
and to his offspring is, is really significant. God said to, to Abraham with the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12 that, that he's going to make this great nation out of Abraham. And he's going to bless him and make his name great so that he is going to be a, a blessing. And, and not only that, but all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through him. And, and it's to his offspring that God is going to give uh, to Abraham. And that offspring is really a, a unique term they use there. We can read in Galatians 3.16 that interprets this for us. Galatians 3.16 talks about this offspring as being Christ. Galatians 3.16 says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. We see the promise of mercy both continuing through the nation of Israel, but also of it being through Christ who will bless all of the nations if they trust him. And even if we don't quite understand why he does what he does, that's me a lot. I don't know why he does what he does. We need to trust him. This, the period that Mary was familiar with was full of upheaval. But little did we know that through God's working, these Romans had built a ridiculous amount of roads and road systems which is going to significantly aid in the spreading of the gospel. And, and not only that, there was an enormous amount of peace in the Roman Empire. And it allowed the freedom to travel all over the place because of the strong Roman military further increasing and aiding the spread of the gospel. And, and amazingly... Everybody understood a common language, Koine Greek, the language that this book from Luke was written in, the language of the New Testament, because it was imposed on them by Alexander the Great when he took them over. God works in unique ways. Christ came to conquer and to save, and maybe not in the ways that Mary was thinking about, but but her faith allowed her to understand that, that Christ is more than just a conqueror who would undo the Roman Empire, but he'd be a conqueror who would bring eternal life and a new kingdom that is everlasting. Mary's hymn praises God for how hope came, not only for the Jews, but for the entire world. Christ's fulfillment of prophecy was anticipated and recognized by many who sought him out. And Mary's life is just encapsulated by this greatest promise that has ever been kept, which started with the incarnation of Christ. And this praise of Mary is not just for Mary. She makes that evident in her hymn. It's ours as well. It's ours to repeat because we share an identity with Mary because we share an identity in Christ. He's come to free us from the wrath of our sin, to redeem us to new life in him, to know that he loves us and that he is our savior. The blessing of Mary shows how God is going to vindicate the God-fears in remembrance of his covenant promises. 
Mary knows not only that God has shown mercy to her, but that his mighty, merciful, and, and holiness will manifest himself to other people. And his promises will come to pass, and the reader of this, us, we are to identify with Mary's confidence, her faith, her joy. Now look at today. Ask the question, are we doing that? If we can look back and see what the Messiah has done in our lives, can we not continue to work that out in our lives? Can we not work out our salvation with fear and trembling and be sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, can I look at the war in uh, Russia and Ukraine and know that even if nuclear war were to happen, that nothing can separate me from the strong arm of the Lord? Like, do I believe that he's going to continue to scatter the proud and exalt those of a humble estate? Do I believe that nothing on this earth will happen without his good and sovereign will having control over it. Can I be a, a providential optimist as Mary was, even in her oppression and, and place in life? And I really want to drill it in here. Mary could have been a wreck. Like, she could have doubted everything. She could have been swallowed up with everything that could look wrong, pregnant, marginal. She could have only heard the negative. But the, the key here is, is that she, she spoke to herself more than she listened to herself. And what I mean by that is that she didn't let her circumstances change her faithfulness. And I'll say that again. She spoke to herself more than she listened to herself. She didn't let her circumstances change her faithfulness. She could have gone sideways with fear, but instead she spoke God's truth over herself and others. She hid the word of the Lord in her heart, and she let it pour out of her when she needed it the most. She was confident in the word and its promises. What a, what a testimony of the coming king. What an example that Mary is to us. And I pray that we can join her in her hymn and her magnifying of our God and his promise-keeping ways because we are recipients of that promise. We know the Messiah. We know that he lived the perfect life in our place, that he died a sacrificial death for us and his resurrected life that he lives at the right hand of the Father. And we get to be united with him as he has covered us with his righteousness through his shed blood. Church, praise God for what he did through Mary. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are a good and faithful God. You are our God and our Savior. You are our Redeemer, our Comforter, our Shepherd, our, our conquering King who has defeated death and has given us new life in you. So Lord, I, I pray that as Mary 
has magnified you through her hymn, that we can magnify you through, through our hymn, through our lives. And that is by trusting you. And trusting you by what you've done in your past, what you're doing now, and what you're going to do in the future. We love you, Lord, and, and we give you praise in everything. In Christ's name, amen.